Welcome to the Crossview Church Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy the message this morning. For more information, visit us at mycrossview.com. Hello, everyone. It's good to see you. Uh, I am so glad to be here in person again. It feels awesome. So if you're joining us online, thank you for doing so. And you can't tell if I'm here or not because it looked really the same uh, the last couple of weeks. But it was really, uh, it was really really fun to be able to join uh, online the last couple of weeks. We've had a lot of people online uh, joining us online, and so it was really fun to be part of those conversations and, and chats, even though it was, it's weird to watch myself uh, in the midst of all of that. But uh, uh, I'm so glad. Thank you for your prayers for us and our family, and uh, we are, I think, almost 100% recovered and just uh, I still feel a little tired, but grateful to be back with you all. Uh, so today the last uh, is the last Sunday of our Walking with Jesus series. And for the past four weeks, we have gone a number of places together. We started at Mount Arabel, if you remember, and we looked at where Jesus pointed to the city on the hill. We talked about, uh, we went to the Sea of Galilee. Uh, we talked about Peter in the boat. Uh, we went to the Wailing Wall. We talked about how Jesus was the way past the walls of our own making in our life and that he took care of the wall of sin for us, inviting us into salvation. And then last week, we, uh, we followed Jesus outside the city walls, uh, having a conversation about faithfully following Jesus outside the, into the places where it's uncomfortable and difficult. Uh, and so I hope that this has been a, a meaningful uh, series for you. I'm thankful for technology. You know, I just want to make mention, I'm, uh, Pastor Holly is amazing, and I'm so thankful for Pastor Holly. Uh, oftentimes, if I were to be out, I would just uh, ask Pastor Holly to preach and teach. Uh, sometimes, maybe even give her my notes, but it was difficult to do that in this series because I'm telling stories from the trip that I went on. And so that's why I par- partially tried to record those. But uh, you'll get to hear Pastor Holly share and preach in a couple of weeks, and I'm really excited about that. So I hope that this has been a fun journey for you. Uh, I hope you've learned some new things, been inspired by the Spirit of God to deepen your faith. And I hope that you've enjoyed seeing some uh, cool pictures along the way. We're going to go to another place that it was one of my favorite places on the trip uh, uh, today for the, our last Sunday in this series while we talk about what we can learn about prayer from Jesus. So we're going to end in this very important place in one of the most important moments of Jesus' life. We're going to follow Jesus today to the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, And look at the prayer that he prayed the night that he was arrested. And my hope is that today, through this story, we can learn some really practical and inspiring things about prayer. About our practice of prayer and why we need this in our life. And we're going to see what Jesus modeled for us as he prayed. So now there's a lot that we could talk about in this passage that we're looking at today in this story. We're not going to talk about everything, so I want to encourage you to go read this on your own. We're coming up in a couple of months to Easter anyway. Isn't that crazy? That we're, we're, that's the next kind of major thing that we're looking forward to uh, in the church calendar. But Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane is recorded in some version in all four of the Gospels. But for today, we're going to look at the one in Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 26. So if you've got 
uh, your Bibles with you or devices, feel free to open this up. We're going to read Matthew 26, 36 through 46. That's 10 verses. It's a bit lengthy, so hang in there with me. But it's important that we read all of this. You'll see it on the screen. It starts like this. Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And he said, sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little further and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done and not mine. Then he returned to the disciples and found them asleep. And he said to Peter, couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Then Jesus left them a second time and prayed, my father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping for they couldn't keep their eyes open. And so he went to pray a third time, saying the same things again. And then he came to his disciples and said, go ahead and sleep, have your rest. But look, the time has come. The son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let's get going. Look, my betrayer is here. So this is a story that we all know fairly well, at least we've read before. But uh, I want to set the stage here a little bit. It's really important that we kind of understand what's going on. We can get more meaning from its context. This is the night before Jesus' crucifixion. Last week, uh, we, we went down to the pit. Do you remember that? And we, that, was just, that was after this we're looking at here. Uh, but this is the night before Jesus' uh, crucifixion. This evening... Between Jesus and his disciples, there's been a lot of stuff that has happened. A lot has gone on. Jesus did a significant section of teaching with his disciples. You can find that in John chapter 13 through 17 or through the beginning of chapter 17. Go read that. You'll be amazed at how much teaching is in that section. Uh, He washed the feet of his disciples, which was a shocking thing to do. Rabbis just didn't do that in these days. He gave his disciples the practice of communion at the Last Supper, a emotional and dramatic meal that culminated in the betrayal of Judas. This is all these moments before his time in the garden. That's a lot, right? It's a lot. There are some really high and holy moments in the life of Jesus and the disciples, events that we remember and celebrate to this very day. But what happens next is that when, is, while Jesus is fully God, he shows us some of his human nature in the midst of this crazy, emotional, and difficult night. And I'm so thankful that he does. Because as I read this story, <coughs> I can relate with many of the characters, even Jesus. I think in the story we find a powerful savior and someone we can follow. Amen, right? And isn't that so good? So uh, we find Jesus and the rest of his disciples in the context of this unbelievable evening headed to the Garden of Gethsemane. And one thing that we know about this garden is that it was across from the main city of Jerusalem over what's called the Kidron Valley on the side of the hill that we know as, Mount of, as the Mount of Olives. 
So this was, uh, I'm going gonna, gonna to sh- show you some pictures of the Garden of Gethsemane now. And this is kind of a fascinating thing. So I show you this to give you a little bit of the context here. You can see off to the right, the Dome of the Rock. And that, you can see the wall kind of around there. That's the, the main city there, the old city of Jerusalem. And the upper room where Jesus and his disciples met for that last meal was in that area. Okay? And the picture, I've, the, I've taken this picture from the side of the Mount of Olives. Okay? So if you go off to the right, off the picture, about a four or five minute walk, you come to the Garden of Gethsemane. So it's on this side of it. But what you see in between is the Kidron Valley. So it's not like a Northwest Valley where it takes a long time to drive through. You can walk across this Kidron Valley. Do you see that? So that's really helpful to know. And it's really cool to see the geography because it helps you kind of picture the story and the image a little bit. So like I said here, if you walk off to the right-hand side of the picture, you come to the Garden of Gethsemane. Now what's cool about the Garden of Gethsemane is there's no question that this is the Garden of Gethsemane, the one that Jesus went to, the one that his disciples would go to. It's an olive grove. And some of these trees that you see here in the Garden of Gethsemane are over 2,000 years old, meaning these trees would certainly have been there when Jesus was there. Isn't that cool? In fact, one tree in particular, you can see they put pathways in between, which wouldn't have existed before. Everything is gated, so you can't walk through it. But this is the Garden of Gethsemane, where the seminal moment in the life of Jesus happens. So it's cool. I love that you can look at it and picture more of what's happening here in this, in this moment. This tree right here is the oldest tree in the Garden of Gethsemane. This tree here would certainly have been there when Jesus was there. Maybe Jesus even came and prayed by this tree or sat by this tree. You can reach out and touch it. It's pretty incredible. It's very old. Isn't that cool to think about that that this, maybe even this moment that we're reading happened here next to this tree? Pretty incredible. So we know, a couple of things that we know about the Garden of Gethsemane. We know that the garden is a place that Jesus went often to pray. In Luke's version of the story, it starts with like this. It says this uh, in Luke 22, verse 39. Then, accompanied by his disciples, Jesus left the upstairs room and went, as usual, to the Mount of Olives, to his place of prayer. We also know from John's version of the story that Judas knew where Jesus would be because Judas the betrayer knew this place because Jesus had often gone there with his disciples. Isn't that great? So the Garden of Gethsemane is a really important uh, thing in Jesus' life. He would go there often to pray. And so maybe the first thing that we can learn about prayer from this unbelievable night uh, is it can be so simple that we miss it, but it's so powerful for our lives is that we need a time and place for prayer in our life. We need one. We need a regular time and place for prayer. And maybe you're like, yeah, Pastor Kyle, like I know this, right? This is something that we've heard over and over again. And okay, good. Do you have a regular time and maybe even a regular place of prayer in your life? And we're seeing that Jesus did. And we see, we'll see in a moment why it's so important for this in our life. It's clear from, te- from these texts and others about Jesus that he made uh, time and a, had a place for prayer. He prioritized it. And we need to follow his way doing this very same thing. Jesus' life was full of prayer. Through prayer, he was able to accomplish so much. 
even in this crisis moment that he has. And I want to emphasize that because this is so key. This night is not easy for Jesus. What he's heading into is not an easy thing. That's why a place of prayer is so important. It can be anchoring when life feels chaotic and you don't know what to do. It can be an anchor point. Jesus taught his disciples to prayer. He healed people with prayer. He denounced the corruption of the temple uh, worship, which he said should be a house of prayer. He taught that some demons could be only, only could be cast out through prayer. He prayed regularly with fervent cries and tears, Hebrew five, Hebrews 5. Sometimes he prayed all night. The Holy Spirit came upon him and anointed him as he was praying in Luke chapter 3. And then uh, he was transfigured with the divine glory as he prayed, Luke chapter 9. He was, when he faced his greatest crises in life, what did he do? He prayed. And here in the Garden of Gethsemane, we hear a prayer for, that he prays for his, his disciples and all of us the night before he died, John 17. Even on the cross, Jesus died praying, <laughs> Immediately after Jesus' death, the disciples prepare for a future by being constantly in prayer, Acts chapter 1. All the church gatherings, that says, were devoted to a number of things, and one of those was prayer, Acts chapter 2, 11, 12. The Spirit descends on the early Christian church in a powerful response to prayer. The leaders are selected and anointed with prayer. <laughs> Do I need to go on? Right? We see how essential and important this is as a practice of following Jesus. Not only for us as individuals, but for us as a community as well. We are all, as Christians, taught to have regular, faithful, devoted, and fervent times of prayer in our life. And so the question is, does that characterize your life? And I'm not trying to heap guilt here. If it doesn't, then we have an opportunity to make that a possibility. And that's exciting. In the book of Acts, prayer is one of the main signs that the Spirit has come into the heart of a believer or into the community of believers. Something as simple as devoting time and in a place for prayer can have a profound effect on your life and your journey with Jesus. And I was so convicted by this. Uh, in, with our time in the garden that I made a significant change in my life to more regularly have a routine to accommodate prayer in my life. You know, when you come back from a trip that's in such a different time zone, I just kept waking up at four o'clock, you know, as your kind of body begins to shift back to its regular time. I decided I wasn't going to stop waking up at four o'clock. And so I still do that this, to this day. This has been a number of years now uh, that I get up about 4.30 every morning. Uh, and part of my routine in the morning is to read, to read scripture, to read books, and to pray. And I, it has changed my life dramatically. And I'm so, so thankful that I did that. So this that part of my life was all kind of inspired by this time in the garden, reading this story as we're in the garden of Gethsemane. What a powerful experience. Okay, so you kind of understand this first aspect, that we need a time and place for prayer in our life. Scripture continues to tell us how important that is. I think the second thing that we learn from the story is that prayer can strengthen and transform us in our time of need, especially when we're facing difficulty or crisis. Uh, we know that uh, Jesus makes a time and place for prayer, especially when he was in need. 
Have you ever been in a crisis moment? Have you ever been in need or been desperate? Maybe you are right now. I know the last couple of years have been very difficult for a number of people in a lot of different circumstances. But here we find the humanness uh, of Jesus that I mentioned earlier, but we get to watch something that happens to Jesus in prayer. It's fascinating. Jesus was certainly in need at this point. He's hours away from the cross. And it seems clear that Jesus had at least an inkling of what was ahead, not only physically, but spiritually as well. And he needs to pray. He doesn't just want to pray. He needs to pray in this passage. So they go to Gethsemane and Jesus invites his closest disciples, Peter, James, and John, to be with him. And it's in the presence of these three that, he, that, uh, that the text says he told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Wow. <laughs> Have you ever felt like that? He says, stay with me and keep watch. These are words of deep distress for Jesus. The scene is deeply moving. Jesus leaves the three disciples behind. It says that he goes a stone's throw away. That's not very far And he finds a place to pray. And according to verse 39, it says, Jesus fell on his face in prayer. Just think of that image. The son of God laying prostrate on the ground with his face in the dirt of this garden. And what's fascinating is, uh, and, and let's pay attention to this, is how scripture records the change in Jesus or the transformation of Jesus in the garden as he prays. This is where we can observe some of the fascinating things that happens through prayer. Look at this with me. Jesus prays three different times. First, it says this in verse 39. He's praying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. So as Jesus begins to pray, we might describe him as discouraged, maybe feeling abandoned. He needs his friends nearby. He's anguished. He's distressed. And he's full of grief. What a way to start. And what does he pray? Well, he essentially prays, hey God, if we can do this any other way, let's do that. (laughs) Right? I don't want to do this. His His request begins by focusing on the cup, which is a metaphor for the suffering and death that he will face. But these four words, if it is possible, we see, we see a deep wrestling in Jesus taking place in his heart. And this is where we can relate. I love this. Why why is he asking this? Well, it seems that Jesus is facing a similar temptation and struggle to that which Satan had originally tempted him with much earlier in the story, an alternative path to accomplishing God's will. God, I know that you have this plan for me and I don't want to do it. Can we do it a different way? Now, we say all the time to God, God, that's too tough. I don't know that I'm willing to do that. That's too risky. We even talked about this a little bit last week, right? The idea of following Jesus when it's uncomfortable. We try sometimes to pursue an alternative route of completing God's will that's a little bit easier. Sometimes we don't want to do what God's designed for us. We don't want to do it how he's designed it for us, (laughs) So while Jesus certainly knows that anything is possible with God, he's wrestling with this reality before him that he's faced, that he's about to face. He's wrestling with this temptation of an alternative route to accomplish God's will that maybe is a little easier. 
But here's the key. And here's where we might be seeking, or where we might be seeking an alternative path or an easier way. Jesus doesn't do that. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Right? What we see is that he is strengthened and transformed as he prays. He says to the Lord as an act of faith, yet not not my will, but yours. God, I'm not sure about this, but let's go ahead and do it your way. And what we begin to see is that through that prayer, Jesus begins, God begins to give Jesus some clarity, some conviction, and some courage. This is fascinating to watch. So we see this change even more pronounced the second time that he prayed. In the very next verse, it says, Then he returned to the disciples and found them asleep and said, Peter, couldn't you watch with me for even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation, for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Then Jesus left them a second time and prayed, My father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping, for they couldn't keep their eyes open. I don't know if you caught it there, but we see a shift in Jesus' prayer. He gains some clarity. It's no longer, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Now it's, if this cup cannot be taken away from me, your will be done. So Jesus realizes at this point that he can't avoid the suffering. He experiences some clarity. And we see in Jesus through prayer a growing conviction to see God's will completed. I love it. Uh, In the midst of one of the darkest moments of Jesus' life, his commitment to God's will holds fast. And I'm so, so thankful. At the end of the second prayer, he has the courage to say, okay, I'm not going to pray anymore that we we do it a different way. (laughs) I'm now going to pray Uh, I I realize we're going to do it your way. I'm saying yes to that. Now, God, your full and complete will be done through me. Wow. (laughs) Incredible. Your will be done. I'll do it. In prayer, you and I can experience this same type of strengthening, the same type of encouragement, the same type of clarity in the most difficult times and moments of our life. We must prioritize time and, and a place for prayer. And as we do, God's spirit through prayer will strengthen us, giving us clarity and courage along the way. So, in verse 44, Jesus, he went to pray a third time, saying the same things again. Then he came to his disciples and said, go ahead and sleep, have your rest. But look, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Look, my betrayer is here. Look, it's even changed how he's approached his disciples now at this point, right? When Jesus is done praying, we see him at greater peace than when he started, He tells his friends, go ahead and sleep, get your rest. And then he recognizes the time and that it's the moment that God has prepared for him. So he's ready to charge into the struggle that God has laid before him. I love this. He tells his friends, okay, get up. It's time to go. What strength and clarity. Prayer transforms even Jesus in this moment. It strengthens and changes Jesus' perspective on suffering and what he's willing to walk into. 
Human perspective becomes divine action here. He has clarity, courage, and conviction. Because he prays, God moves him from anguish, distress, and grief to get up and let's do this thing. Right? Wow, do you see how prayer is so important in our lives, especially from this moment that Jesus models And so maybe the last and the the third thing and the last thing uh, that we can learn from this story is that amazing things can happen if we surrender ourselves to God in prayer. I think another thing that we learn from this prayer is, uh, in this garden, is the idea of surrender, complete surrender to God and what God has for us. We might not be very comfortable with the idea of surrender we really love uh, our, our, our idea of being in control, and it's hard for us to let go of that on a lot of different levels. But what God can do with a life that's completely surrendered uh, is incredible. Jesus' surrender in the garden is a significant action toward the redemption of humanity. We know that, right? Uh, I read an author this last week who said, if you think about, think about it as the bookend, the story, think about the story as being bookended by two gardens. He writes this, The Bible is the story of two gardens, Eden and Gethsemane. In the first, Adam took a fall. In the second, Jesus took a stand. In the first, God sought Adam. And in the second, Jesus sought God. In Eden, Satan led led Adam to a tree that led to his death. And from Gethsemane, Jesus went to a tree that led to our life. Isn't that amazing? When Jesus was in the garden, think about this. He had options, right? With what's ahead, he could have fought like the zealots. Simon is one of his disciples, right? Someone who's willing to be violent for his, his political opinions. That's what a zealot was. Jesus could have fought like a zealot. He could have withdrawn like the Essenes. He could have tried to escape. We talked about that a number of weeks ago. He could have tried to make a deal with the high priest. Or maybe he even appeals to Pilate who we know didn't think Jesus was guilty. Right? I wonder if any of those things crossed Jesus' mind. But he didn't choose any of those options. He did not fight. He did not run. He did not make a deal. What he did is he surrendered completely to God's will and to God's way. Thank you, Jesus. And that was, that was girded up in prayer in this moment for Jesus. Jesus knew that his calling was not to conquer people, but to die for them. And so that's exactly what he did. And because he did, God accomplished the ultimate plan of redemption for all humanity. Jesus surrendering himself in this moment and saying yes in the garden made possible the salvation for everyone, including you and me sitting here today. Prayer is powerful. (laughs) Maybe this moment in the Garden of Gethsemane was probably the closest that Jesus ever got to looking for a way out. And instead, the garden became the place of Jesus' final yes. God can do amazing things through people who are surrendered to Jesus and who uh, are surrendered in prayer and who say yes to God. When, uh, When it was time to face the toughest challenge of his life, 
It was prayer that gave Jesus the clarity, the courage, and the conviction that he could surrender to God's leading in those next days, weeks, those next days ahead. For you and me, that's the next days and weeks and months. We need to have a time of place, a time and place for prayer daily in our life. We need to realize that in prayer, God can strengthen us and transform us, especially as we face difficulty and crisis. And we need to realize that God can literally change the world with hearts that are surrendered in prayer. Let's let that be us. Amen? Amen. Worship team, would you come back up? I'm going to pray for us. Heavenly Father, uh, God, we just come to you today thankful for uh, your, your work in our life. God, we're thankful for the, the scripture, thankful for these stories, thankful for what we can learn, and thankful for the way that you work. God, we ask that you just work powerfully in our lives, in our church, in our community, as we're surrendered to you in prayer. God, I pray that you just help us develop a, a regular place and practice of prayer in our life. We know how important it is. Thank you, Jesus, for your example. I pray that when we think about the Garden of Gethsemane, that it is inspiring to us to know what happened to you in that place and to know that through prayer, you said yes to a very difficult circumstance in, those next, in that next day ahead. God, be with us. Empower us by your spirit. Inspire us by what you've done for us. Fill us with the love that you have, not only for us, but for others. Give us eyes to see the world the way that you see. We want to say yes to you. And so if we come, if we're struggling right now, if we are facing difficulties, God, will you just encourage us to go to you in prayer? Will you send people around us that can encourage us to go to prayer, to pray with us? Whether maybe that's our small group or our family members or our friends. But God, may we just come to you and surrender in prayer. Move powerfully and we love you. In your name we pray.